Another Ute game is in the books. Shut! A third down to nine. And three tight ends on the field again. It's a run on the delay. Thomas, the touchdown. And Utah strikes first. So here's Lewis, who's had a perfect season. 10 for 10 in field goals. 36-yard try. On the left hash mark, really no breeze to speak of. And that one is blocked. Deflected at the line of scrimmage by Cole Bishop. Rising, walks into the end zone untouched. Thomas the running back. Thomas the ball carrier. Thomas the scorer. Touchdown, Utah. He's going to try to return it. Long line drive punt by Snee. A 26-yard try, and it's good. The special teams remain a bright spot tonight for the Utes. Tavion Thomas, his third touchdown of the game. The clock is at zero, and it's time to break down today's game. This is your Ute postgame show. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome in. It is your Utah postgame show. Hans Olsen, Frank Dolce here on 97.5, 12 to the zone and the zone sports network. The University of Utah getting one of the biggest wins in program history tonight in Rice-Eccles Stadium against the number three Oregon Ducks. And Frank doing it in grand old fashion. That was a good old spanking that Utah just put on Oregon. Frank, give us some of your thoughts out of the gates with this big win. Well, Utah just did everything they needed to do tonight to to win that football game. I mean, everything that we talked about prior to the game in terms of Utah needing to run the ball effectively, they did that. Uh, Utah needing to keep a clean pocket for Cam Rising, they did did that. Utah needing to neutralize uh, Thibodeau. They certainly did that. Uh, they got tremendous efforts out of the running backs. They got I, – I, I think tight ends – we could make a t- case for the tight ends being players of the game, and, and they didn't get a bunch of, you know, spectacular plays, but the way that they managed – helped manage that offensive line. On the defensive side, you had to eliminate – Oregon's ability to run. Oregon ran for 63 yards on the night. Not quite up to their season average of 230 yards. You had to take away the quarterback run game. Anthony Brown had eight yards on nine carries. Not quite to his 45, 50-yard average. You had to force Oregon to throw the ball to beat you. Uh, Oregon was 17 of 35. 35 attempts. So not 50% for 231 yards. More yards than I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, Both teams were clean in terms of turnovers. Uh, But it was like Utah just did everything right. They won the line of scrimmage. They were disruptive at the defensive line. Beautifully clean. Kept a clean pocket. Uh, I thought Tavion Thomas looked Really good. Uh, 
21 carries for, what, 100 yards? Just under, 94 yards, four and a half yards a carry. Pledger ends up with 4.6 yards per carry. Mikai uh, Bernard ends up with 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, everybody seemed to contribute. And it was just a dominant – it was a dominant effort. It's – you know, Oregon certainly didn't look like the number three team in the country. I didn't – at no point did I feel like they were the number three team in the country. And at some point in that game, you kind of turned and said, <laughs> this is exactly what the college football playoffs was expecting when they put them in at number three. This is exactly what they wanted. Right. I mean, they 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 launch. So so the Pac-12 is going to make a bunch of noise about getting some some team in the in the playoff. And Oregon turns out to be your only hope with the one loss on the season. And Oregon's going to have to win out. And and so the football, the playoff committee says, well, yeah, we'll put Oregon in there. We'll put heavens. We'll put Oregon in at number three. Why not? Because the football committee thinks they're going to take another loss. I'm honestly, I'm surprised that it took this long for Oregon to 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 have another loss on their schedule. It they just, it's like you said, they've they've just been kind of getting by, manufacturing wins throughout the season. So it's a very talented football team. There's no question about that. Plenty of athleticism on that football team, but Utah just did the the right things tonight to to neutralize their most talented players and and then put the game on the shoulders of of a quarterback who's probably better more efficient um, in the run game uh, than he is throwing the ball downfield he had a couple drops too but he was a little a little goofy on some of his passes as well I sent out my list of MVPs of the game I'm, I'm getting a lot of criticism from people telling me that it's way too long they they're they're joking that I've now added everybody on the the team on the list. It's a little bit long. Here's my list of MVPs: <laughs> Britton Covey, yeah, Cole Bishop, he was great, yeah, really good. Andy Ludwig, <laughs> yeah, Cole Fotheringham, mm-hmm. Brent Keithy, Big Bam, Devin Lloyd, and Tavian Thomas. Those are my MVPs. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Those are my I, only MVPs. I agree with those are the only ones I'm picking. I agree with most of those. Uh-huh. How could you please explain to me how you have Cole Fotheringham? I'm looking at the stats. He does not have one. He's a tight end, right? Uh-huh. He doesn't have one reception right on the night. So how on earth doesn't need would one. you put Fotheringham? Is was that just like a pity for a pity put put Fotheringham in there? How many as times? An MVP? How many times did I pause it? And make you look. <laughs> so I, it, you ruined the flow of the game. <laughs> I took the fun out of it. You took the, you took the, every time I get was like, what's the next play? What's the next play? All of a sudden we're going backwards. Yeah. And you're, you're saying, and then you pause it. And all I see is Fotheringham's backside. Oh, man. You know. Cutting the angles. He's cutting somebody off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, I wanted you to answer that question because, um, on more than one occasion, we saw Fotheringham just sealing somebody off, or we saw a combination of Keithy and Kincaid, who would combo. I mean, they would they would take the defensive end, and then the one play 
Keithy then peels off and gets the cornerback. Utah scored on that play. Yeah. I mean, I just thought the 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 way that Utah used their their tight ends was awesome in, in the blocking game. Yeah. In the running game yep. was really well done, really well conceived, and well executed. Twelve and thirteen personnel almost all night. All night. Uh, it was a really good mix and a lot of different moving parts. So, Frank, really quickly, non-slot wide receiver. How Non-slot wide receiver receptions, how many did they combine for in this game? Non-slot wide receiver receptions. How many did they combine for? Hold on, I'm adding it up. Okay. Carry the one. I'm going to give you a couple That's minutes. a zero. What? Is this the most bizarre? This is one of the most bizarre box scores I've seen. 38 points right. by Utah. Right. 10 passing attempts. There just weren't a lot of passing attempts to go around. No, 10, 10 receptions. Or sorry. 18, 10 18 receptions attempts. to go around. Yeah, there weren't. So Keithy gets half of the receptions. He's 50% on the receptions. Uh, and then Britton Covey gets three of those. And then uh, Bernard and Kincaid get one each. Now they targeted, uh, they targeted Vele a couple times. I didn't see uh, got a pass interference out of one. Didn't yep, uh, but I didn't see I didn't see Solomon Enos nope. get targeted. Uh, there wasn't much outside Dick, at all. Dixon got one run on a reverse. It was pretty good. I think he ran for fifteen or sixteen yards, something like that. Uh, who else got targeted? What other wide receiver got targeted that's, in that game? That's it. Really. I think on the on the wideouts, I think that's it. it. It just was a different flow of a game. And it's weird because, you know, you look at the 10 completions and you think to yourself, oh, well, then they must have 350 yards rushing. They only had 210 yards rushing. Mm -hmm. But, Frank, the points came from one of my other MVPs, in Britton Covey, talk about what you saw from him in that punt return, and and talk about the moment, like wh when it happened, and just kind of take people into that moment. Well, I thought it was big. Well, it was because Oregon was stifled. Uh, comes up to a fourth down, and there was ten, you know, ten-ish seconds left on the clock, and Coach Whittingham calls timeout, and you think, wait a second. You're up twenty-one, nothing. Run into run as fast as you can. Yes, take it into the locker room. Take it and be happy. Just run in, run to the locker room. Don't fumble a punt get return. Get some Gatorade. Don't yeah. Don't yeah. mess this up. Yep. Don't mess this up. Well, Coach Whittingham uh, calls timeout and forces a punt, and uh, and so here comes the punt and. Two Oregon Ducks bearing down on Covey. He didn't call a fair catch all night. He took the return. He took the punt, bellied back, going left across the field, back toward Utah's bench, got a fantastic block. I, I think it was, it was nine. It must have been Davis, right? It must have been Vonta, mm -hmm. Vonta Davis. Yep who just got his arm in front of – so he didn't get a block in the back. He just got enough of his arm and shoulder in front of the player to slow him down. That gave Covey the corner, and then it was like 
it was a foot race. And was Covey going to be able to get down the sideline fast enough? You wouldn't think so. No. But he, he broke a tackle. He made one acrobatic move on the sidelines, kept himself in bounds. And then it was like he had an entourage leading him into yeah. the end zone. There were probably four or five guys around him. So it turned out to be a spectacular play. And, you know, Coach Whittingham looks like a genius for calling the timeout. So when Britton Covey played with you, was he that good? <laughs> when... <laughs> When when I when I was playing with Covey, he was he was just a young junior at the time. Well, I remember playing against him, and thinking to myself, "Boy, we better be in our lanes." He's pretty good, <laughs> man. Uh, that guy, he is something. Even uh, the announcers tonight. One of the greatest youths all time. No question, one of the greatest youths yeah. all time. The announcers tonight were fantastic. They, you know, they were saying these funny things about him about you know and how he served a mission he still has a year left and he's the oldest guy actually he's not the oldest guy on the team if you can believe that but uh but one of the oldest and you know how coach uh coach Whittingham is kind of caps him a little bit and this and that but I don't know I whatever it is like he plays he plays at a different speed and a different type of passion than everybody else he's kind of through his actions, and I, he's just kind of that spark plug on the team, a leader on the team that everybody looks to. He's always the first one out on the field congratulating people, and and he's just ready to do his job every time he's called on. Utah getting a big win over Oregon, 38-7. to It was a very dominant performance. And it's funny because typically, <laughs> Frank – Typically, and you know me, over all the years we've been doing radio together, you know I typically put together a list of negatives. Yeah. Win or loss, I talk about things that yeah. can be cleaned up or should be cleaned up. Right. My list is very thin. It is one thing, one thing on my list. We'll talk about that one thing, and we're going to talk about the two defenders, in, in my opinion, that completely – change the tide of this game. That's all coming up in your Utah postgame show right here on 97.5, 12 into the zone and the Zone Sports Network. Say go! Another Ute game is in the books. Shut! Welcome back to your Utah postgame show. Hans Olsen, more importantly, Frank Dolce. This game was incredible, man. Uh, we both predicted a win. We both thought this would happen. But could you have ever predicted a 38-7 to shellacking, butt-whooping? Struggle against teams that can run the football effectively and complement it with a quarterback run game. And so that was a, that was a big concern coming into this game. And, and, you know, our belief is that Oregon possesses the most athletic team, top to bottom, depth of talent, in the Pac-12 this year so lots of concerns about utah defensively coming into this football game would they be able to stop die i think die is fantastic he it was like he hardly had an opportunity to to run the ball tonight he was completely nullified six carries 29 yards 
only six carries. I mean, that's is that a lack of commitment to the run, or I don't know what was what was going on. Twenty three carries on the night total. So, and and then and then. Uh, I wasn't keen on Anthony Brown throwing the ball. I thought if Utah could make him throw the ball, yeah, you they, called that. They the had pre-game. a better chance. Um, he did complete a couple nice passes, uh, but I was extremely worried about his ability to break out of a pocket or court design quarterback run game. We and, talked about that. We talked yeah. about Utah's defense, and, and I gave a couple of thoughts on how Utah could cut them off in in those situations, or why I thought they could. Mm-hmm. And they did it. They really cut down Anthony Brown's uh, ground attack, and, and I thought that made a huge difference. Tell me what you saw more in the passing game from Anthony Brown. It, it, you know, coming from a quarterback's perspective, Frank, is he a capable passer? For this Oregon team to be ranked number three, you would think that they would have a capable passer, but I, the two games I watched coming into this game, get ready for it, the reason I felt like Utah would win was Washington and Washington State. In those two games, I just didn't see anything that gave me any indication that if the game was on the line that he could move the ball through the air. How, it's From your evaluation, does he have the gift? or Because this is a five-year veteran. He, I, I think he's super talented. I don't. I think he's uh, he's not a super talented passer, and and he's not. To me, he's not a uh, he's not a champion. He's not going to lead a team to a championship. He's going to have to have lots of other things go right for him to lead a team to a championship. So a guy like Anthony Brown, if his if his running game outside of him running is going well. If his offensive line is dominating the line of scrimmage um, and he can utilize his legs effectively, then I think you're, you, you'd, you'd have trouble with him. But if you, if you can manage him the way that Utah managed him tonight, which was take away the run game, eliminate or neutralize his opportunities on the run, in the run game, force him to throw the ball by creating a pocket and keeping him in front of you, which they did, uh, then then that gives you your best opportunity to, to win. So we saw him complete two very nice passes down the middle of the field, and we saw him – we also saw him overthrow receivers or throw behind receivers who were open. Yep. We also saw – I mean, just – I just – I want to make sure that we, we recognize – he also had a few drops. I mean, I think he probably had three, four drops in that game that passes that should have been caught. So the combination of him not being a you know a, a great passer uh, and and good defensive strategy and execution by Utah and a few miscues by his receivers, it just was all went the wrong way for Oregon. Well, there were a couple of guys that made it go the wrong way for Oregon defensively. And one that really stuck out to you, Frank, I want you to talk about one or two guys that because during the game you kept saying to me, Hans, you got to look at this guy, or Hans, you got to check out this guy. Just talk about a couple of guys that stood out to you defensively that, that caught your eye, made a difference, and, and, uh, and what they did in particular. Well, I, I think the first guy you have to talk about is Cole Bishop. Like, where, ha- where did he come from? 
this is now the last three or four games he has just he's become kind of this foundational presence on the defensive side like and he's playing all over the place he's listed as a safety so you'll find him mixed up in coverage sometimes but he also plays from the line of scrimmage like you'll see him lined up with a linebacker or with his hand in the ground and uh he just seemed to his he just was present tonight. Mm-hmm. He seemed to show up. I like that word. After play, after play, and and very involved, engaged, aware, in the moment. And like you said, present. Yeah, he was everywhere, and he just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and looked like he was executing his assignments. Uh, you and I ran a couple of comparisons. Brian Blecken came to mind. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Blecken's very, very that like that's a really good comparison chase hansen is a guy that although i think i i mean i think bishop may be more athletic than than a chase hansen um i don't know if we want to go all the way up you know who we're talking about that that's uh we we might have to give him a couple years to reach that level yeah but how often did weddell play up on the line like that well just Whenever Utah needed a big play, I mean, he – he. They just played him. He just did whatever. everything, wherever, whenever, wherever. He lined up as a linebacker. He lined up at the line of scrimmage. He blitzed from I was, a I was still in the middle of my – I was just finishing my career when he was playing, so I don't have a lot of oh. reference from him in college. The funniest thing about Weddle is if you ran into him at Maverick getting a Diet Coke or something – there is no way that you would ever guess in a thousand years that he played professional football. Or that he's one of the greatest to ever play. It. <laughs> that he's one of the great yeah. of all time. Yeah. I would, I would tell you, too, I know the guy, and I'm just impressed by him as a human. Like yeah. He, he's you – know, we talk about Britton Covey being an all-time great. You, I think Eric Weddle might be the greatest youth of all time. <laughs> I can't think of a – Ute that embodies everything: the toughness, the defensive side, the personality, the the fandom, and and deep, you know, red blood love. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anybody that does it more than Eric. Yeah, you may be right on that. You may be right. I mean, and and if he's your representative, that's a good. That's pr- that, he's pretty darn good. Uh, get his butt in the Hall of Fame. He's pretty darn. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's Hall of Fame worthy, but I I don't know. I'm not I don't have a vote. For the for his the problem is he just didn't like he wasn't he's not flashy. That's not his personality. He just played every step. It's productivity. But his productivity was off the charts. I I can it was like 9 years with San Diego. The, yeah. the the available special team snaps and defensive snaps. He took like 98% right. of both. Yeah. The, of the collective snaps. Anyways, they kept drafting guys to try and replace him. They couldn't replace him. He's just incredible. But he's fantastic. So Cole Bishop was fantastic. Cole, Cole Bishop was very good. Devin Lloyd is always good. Like he and and he had one knockout punch tonight. I thought was that was that was fantastic. Uh, was that on a third down? Was that a run off yeah. a, a third down? And he just, yeah, he just ate him up. He just ate him up. So I, I highlighted the spin move that he did. Yes, when he lined up. Uh, uh, 
he lined up on the left side of the offensive line, yep. right side of the defensive line, spun inside the tackle. Two-point jet formation, so like yep. two yards outside the tackle. Yeah. Came inside on a beautiful spin. And what was great, when you know, when, when a good defender comes on a gorgeous spin like that, they've got a gorgeous hack across the, cross, uh, across the arm, and then when they spin – there's the, the claw hook on the back of the arm to pull himself through. It was just like – it's like he did it a million times at practice and it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Yeah. And flushed, flushed Brown out of the pocket. Right. Forced a quick pass incomplete. that went incomplete. Yeah. I thought uh, I thought Junior Tafuna had a good night. Yeah, he did. I thought he was – like he was there, – there were several plays that he was just – Really good in the backfield, uh, wreaking Tuf- havoc at the line of scrimmage. Junior Tafuna ended up with a sack and a half. They split that sack, that second one, with him and Vaughn. <laughs> Remember, there were yes. four. There were four guys that were there on yeah, that sack. There was a bunch of. There, if they could give a quarter sack to four different guys, they would probably give quarter sacks. But he ended up. Junior Tafuna ended up with a sack and a half, and we highlighted his interior push and sack. Uh, just lined up in a – I think it was a two technique, head up the right guard, mm-hmm. and it was a hard left step slide. Center ended up with his hands on him and just overstepped. <laughs> Tafuna came back to his left and ripped through the arms and was on top of Brown before Brown even knew it. Mm-hmm. It was a great sack. So a really good effort by him. This defense stepped up in such a big way tonight. They were so good. Vonta Davis, uh, Frank, talk a little bit about what you saw with Davis at the end of that game. How worried are you about what you saw? Well, uh, so it didn't – so he took that shot on – well, he made a tackle on the sideline, and it seemed to me that as he was making the tackle, he may have hit a thigh, knee of the opposing player – that kind of tweaked his neck. Yeah, kind of came across the ear hole. Yeah, and when and and uh, I, you've dealt with this m- much more. I only had one very minor, minor stinger, but it was. I've un- had a couple. It was uncomfortable enough, but I, it looked to me like that was the issue with Davis. Like he not like a separated shoulder no, or it was a, a collarbone. It looked to me like when he was a shaking stinger. out the arm. Because when you when you have a collarbone yeah. or a rotator cuff, you don't. You're shake not out moving there. that thing. Yeah. When you have a stinger, you're trying to shake. It it feels like needles are poking you in your fingers. Yeah. And it and it and it's a weird numbness in your throughout your bicep and into your forearm. Right. If anybody's ever slept on their arm and woke up and the whole arm was asleep, it feels like that, but weak, way way more weak. And so what you do is you shake it out because you think, oh, I'm just going to shake this out. <laughs> But but those stingers will sit and linger a little bit. What sucks about a stinger is when you get one, the second one comes a little bit easier. When you get two, the third one seems to come a lot easier, and then you get a glass jaw on stingers, and that could be a big red flag for a player. I haven't seen him deal with a lot of them. It's not something that's going to keep him out long term. I expect him back for Colorado. Just if it's a stinger, he should be back for Colorado. He should be healthy for Colorado. I'm curious if um, how they manage that with with Colorado. If you're getting ready for a championship game and you want you want Davis to be as healthy as possible, maybe you maybe you don't. Uh, we'll we'll see how they manage it against Colorado, but 
But it, yeah, I, 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 so it didn't look to me like a long-term issue for Davis, which I think is very fortunate. He was leading tackler tonight. He had six, seven tackles, six solo uh, on the evening. So very, very productive once again for Davis. I mean, we, we, until you said something about him a couple weeks ago, and we talked about him then, yeah. we just don't talk about him enough, and yeah. that's that's kind of it's you know it's kind of a miss because he is a very productive player. Utah gets a big win, thirty-eight to seven over the Oregon Ducks. This is the Frank Dolce University of Utah post-game show. Does a fantastic job breaking these things down, giving us insight into these players. It was a clean game, folks. And 38-7 to doesn't really tell the fullness of the domination that Utah had on this Oregon Ducks team. It was unbelievably clean and universal football. Special teams, blocked field goal, punt return for a touchdown, multiple big special teams moments, defensively, huge sacks, big pressures, guys like Cole Bishop stepping up and doing great things. Offensively, don't even need to pass. You got ten reception. You're sorry. You got ten completions. Ten completions. You don't have a single completion to a whiteout that's not a slot, and you end up with 38 points. It was dominant in the run game. It was dominant blocking. Controlled the clock. Oh, let's take a look at that. Time of possession. Utah 35-27 to Oregon 24-33. Complete domination of time of possession. Clean with penalties. Clean with turnovers. It was a very, very clean game for Utah. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, give you some of our final thoughts on this Utah postgame show. Say go! Another Ute game is in the books. Start! Welcome back to your Utah postgame show. Hans Olsen, more importantly, Frank Dolce hanging out. And, Frank, um, I'm telling you, with all the different top five-seeded teams that I can remember Utah playing, I don't know if I can remember a more clean or well-executed game as what we've seen tonight against Oregon. When you think about this game, is that the word that comes to your mind is clean? Well, I don't know why clean comes to my mind. Is it just because it it felt so organized, so controlled? It just felt like Utah had full control of this at all points of the game. It, it felt like that. I think that is the, the right word. And we've, we've used that word to describe Utah football a little bit this year. And when, when Utah's performing that way, I think we agree that it's a really tough team to beat when they're when they're running the ball effectively, uh, when they're efficient in the pass game, when their defensive line controls the line of scrimmage and makes an offense one-dimensional. You know, that w- when Utah plays to that level, that standard, they're they're just hard to beat. Uh, and so that I think that's exa- I think that's really accurate. Like this was a clean game. They didn't have special teams issues this week, although it still seems like a little bit of an adventure with the punt game. <laughs> there were a couple of close calls, There's... shaky moments. <laughs> yeah. But but they came out they came out uh, okay on that side, and then everything else. They you know the one Clark Phillips loses his man in the third quarter. They gave up a touchdown. You know that was kind of a 
little bit of a gut check. But then it, it they just kind of figured it out, and that and then that didn't happen again. So I mean that that you described it perfectly. It was a clean effort. Everything the game plan was right. The execution was really really good, and um, and and Utah forced Oregon into air, just a position where there there's a lack of comfort. There's another individual that I wanted you to talk a little bit about because you and I were sitting there watching this offensive game plan and we're watching it click. What has happened with Andy Ludwig? It is, it feels so resurgent and it feels back to, to, to square one with Andy. Uh, you know, I, I think he's very capable. It felt we like we lost him for a minute against BYU and, and San Diego State, but it, it feels like he's back. Can you just talk about you know, some of the complexities of what he's doing with his calls and why it's so functional, why it's working? And is it him or is it the players just executing? Yeah. I mean, the, he, Coach Whittingham will always tell you that it's the talent on the field. I agree with that. Like, that you just have to have the right guys. Um, but the thing I am most – impressed with coming out of the booth with Andy Ludwig is his ability to recognize what's happening on the field mm -hmm. and just roll with that. Like Utah but, was but not in a singular way. No. But but working off of it. Yes. So I'm sure Utah, like, Oregon's really good at stopping the run. Yes, they are. Uh, so I'm sure Utah had a lot more cooked up in the passing game. Number 24 in the country. Yeah. They give up about 120 yards a game. So, so I'm sure that the, that, the, that the play sheet had a lot of passes, a lot of plays in the passing game that just weren't called tonight. Yeah. Because instead of trying to force it, just said, because you didn't need it, right? Because you knew that your best defense was keeping Oregon's offense off of the field. Yeah. So we're going to control the line of scrimmage. We're going to run the ball, and oh, look at this—we're averaging five yards a carry. Well, you know, you hit a couple carries like that. There's another first down. Here's another first down. They ran the ball on third and six, and picked up a first down. They did that more than once. So I think just what Andy, like Andy Ludwig seems like he's super present in what's happening in the game. So we here, we've developed this whole game plan and lots of coordinators will try and force something in. You know, mm -hmm. I worked, we worked on this all week. I want to throw the triple reverse pass back to the quarterback. We worked on it all week. Lots of guys will will try and fit something in, mm -hmm. but it. I think there's this just lack of ego with Coach Ludwig. In hey, this is what is working. This is how we. Our ultimate goal is to win the football game. This is how we win. We'll continue to do this. We'll continue to do that. And then his ability to shift and make a change if something isn't working like he wants it to. So. That, I thought, like, his first time at Utah, uh, his 
his the very best game that he called happened to be uh, Utah beating Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. That was his last game as coordinator for his first stint, and he was fantastic. You, if you remember that game, Utah jumped all over Alabama, and they just kind of kept the pressure on the whole time. Uh, and we saw things offensively that we just hadn't seen out of that Utah team all year. Um, and so I think now with uh, an offensive line that's playing much better, uh, much more consistently, uh, and the emergence of Tavion Thomas, it just feels like Andy Ludwig has a real comfort in the ability to just manage what's happening on the field at any particular moment. I agree with that, and I love the way he works off. Like you mentioned, he, he doesn't just force one thing. He works off that one thing that's working, and he does it off his blocking schemes. And his H-back movements – are they are versatile it's not you can't get a read your h-back movement can't be your key as a backer Mm -hmm. your h-back movement can't be a key as a lineman because it's a deceiving movement that that pole does not mean that ball is coming your way that pole doesn't mean the ball is going away from you that pole does not mean it's a run and that pole does not mean it's a pass and and so you know because my mind still works as a defensive tackle I still watch keys, and, and I still look for keys and, and read keys when I'm watching a game. And so I'll pick up things. All right, so where's the back? How is the back offset? Is it a pistol set? Is the guard is – it, is it a foot split? Is it a two-foot split? It, it, you know, the H-back. Is the H-back set then moved? Is he set wide, comes across from the slot? And you've got all these little keys that you can – you can't read that crap with Andy Ludwig. So when you sit you there, you almost have to just ignore it and watch a game. There's t- there's times when you can, based on what a particular, let's just say it's the H back. I'm not talking about this game, but in games in general, you can see, oh, the H back set here. This is going to be Absolutely. a run. It's going to be to this. Okay, I can watch it. I can watch it, and I can look at a guard set and running back depth. Look at down a distance, and I'll know. Guard and, set, running back depth, down a distance. But that's a deep set tackles reads. Well, and, and that's back reads are typically outside linebacker reads, sometimes middle linebacker reads, or strong safety walked up reads. Like, so that's a, that's interesting because that's a little insight into what it takes to to play at the next level. Oh, because it, it it just, but the thing is, is I'm watching it and and it's frustrating to me because Andy Ludwig with his movements and and what he builds off of that movement, and then that. The base, the like the foundation fun, fundamentals that those tight ends block mm-hmm. with in the movements. You watch them; mm-hmm. it's tenacious blocking, and they'll punch you and punch you. And they're they're like little rat terriers, you know. They just bite, 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 bite. You, I how many times I I rewinded that uh, that Brent Keithy one a couple of times yes. on the outside because he hit, then he hit, then he got back in the chest and hit, hit, hit. Yeah. And the guy was finally like, "It's a touchdown! Leave me alone!" Come on. You've already scored. The defensive back was raising his arms like it was a touchdown. It was like, the play's over. Yeah. Stop blocking and me. Keithy's still punching this guy in the mouth. I didn't notice. I haven't noticed as much all year, and I know that you have, the tight end uh, blocking as, I, as, as much as I did tonight. Tonight seemed like really clear that that was schematic, yeah. that the tight end group, all three of those guys mm-hmm. – were called upon to to be engaged 
in the blocking schemes up front, and they executed really, really well. They they did the same against Arizona State. The the those tight ends against Arizona State were were fantastic like that. But they, they've been good all year. But this was a standout performance in their blocking. So let, let me ask you this. Because All of everybody's blocking. There, there was one particular coach on the offensive side who was under a little fire at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And uh, his position group. By some. <laughs> by some. His position group, uh, they, they just weren't performing well. And we heard, you know, a lot of things about, well, there's injuries and we haven't had the same guys together for a while and – um, so, so tell me, what's the, what's the difference is, did he become suddenly become a much better coach or, or did his group get healthy and all of his lessons are finally now being executed on the field? His group got healthy. And when you talk about players needing to play, that's what it was. And remember when we were going through it, I told you, I said, I've got too much sample size to, that tells me he's a good coach. And so I'm not going to pin it on him. I'm not going to say this is a Jim Harding issue. There's too many people making dumb mistakes. And if you can't root out the dumb, then maybe I could say, well, that's a coaching problem. You should have rooted out the dumb. That's on you. <laughs> but the dumb came together, and they shook it out of them, and they found some good combos. Tonight was a good combo, but we've seen some good combos mm-hmm. with um, – when uh, Mahe was in and Laumea mm-hmm. and Ford out to the guard, that was a good combo. Mm-hmm. Braden Daniels has been better at tackle than I thought. Mm-hmm. I know so, you were really concerned about that when he made I that was, move. I was worried, but it's it's been a good combo. So we've seen some good combos, and, yeah, I, I, I definitely wasn't ready to put it on Jim. Man, these players are playing, and it's, it, it is what I'd hoped it was. I mean, I was hoping – that I was on the right line on that, and and that is the case. I think that this offensive line was good. Multiple times during that game, you and I looked at each other and said, that's a good pocket. You know, I, I think your eye looks at it as, oh, this is a pocket I'd like to throw from, right? <laughs> yeah, what right. what is What is your favorite kind of pocket? Like, what is a good pocket to you? Do you like when guards clear out and big windows on the inside, or is it just dependent on what your, your route tree is? Well, it's a little. I think it's a little dependent on the route tree. The only thing that I think a quarterback wants in a pocket is the ability to scan the field and s- step when he throws, uh, because you have to. That the, the, you know, lots of throwing happens below your waist. Yeah. So you know, not everybody's Brett Favre. You know, you can't be can't flip po- a wrist point, pointing one way and then throw the ball the other way accurately. So that was the only thing is I wanted the ability to scan the field, and that happens in your drop. I mean, that should happen pretty quickly, and then the ability to step um, into the throw because that just increases your accuracy and velocity and, and everything else. So um, outside of that, you know, I didn't have many concerns about about what was happening in the pocket. If you if people were getting pushed into you, that was a challenge. Um if you were getting knocked off your spot, that could be a challenge. But other other than that, just those two things were important. Well, it was nice to see Bills back in and, and healthy. Yep. Uh, and he'll be able to finish out this season well. It was a dominant performance across the board. Frank, give me some of your final thoughts on this. As, as your confidence, obviously your confidence has taken a big step. How big of a step has your confidence taken in this Utah team? And 
what is the goal now? What is the mark for the University of Utah at this point? Conference championship this year. You know, you know, it's because you're going to have to see this team again yeah. here in a few weeks. Yeah. So, so here's what I th- what I thought before the, this game is like I I put I gave Utah the edge in this game against Oregon because I think Oregon was due for a loss. Uh, I thought they were due for a loss several times this season, and, and then finally they took it tonight. Um, and so, and, and Utah didn't play extremely well against Arizona last week, so I thought this was going to be a good bounce back week for Utah. It seemed like everything kind of aligned. Oregon due for a loss, Utah coming off of poor performance with a win, uh, getting o- Oregon at home, that, that, and, and fairly healthy. That seemed, that seemed like the right combination. But after the way Utah played tonight, uh, I'm more confident that Utah can take Oregon in a championship game. Like Oregon didn't show, didn't necessarily show me anything tonight that would make me think, well, Utah has no chance in a championship game. Uh, I, I agree. I think that this win probably put the fear of the almighty in Oregon in a championship rematch. Now, Cristobal is not afraid of anything and, Oregon thinks they're the big dogs in the conference and they're probably going to find their swagger again. Actually, they might lose to Oregon State. Who knows? Oregon State might get them. Well, Oregon State's beating Arizona State right now. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's it's the Pac-12. You know what? The college football playoffs got exactly what they wanted. The Pac-12 feasting off each other. Yeah. Oregon losing. Sure did. So they can fit their beloved Oklahoma back in because you know that's their ultimate design. Frank, as always, you're a scholar and a gentleman. You're so, I, I don't know how you can say that with it. In fact, you don't have a straight face. I, I was going to say, face. I don't know how you can say that with a straight face, and I look at you, and then you're kind of smirking. I do have a straight face. That's not, that's not a straight face, but I can't tell you how much I enjoy working with you and, call, yeah. and, and calling these games yeah. uh, and talking about these games because you make me – a better analyst. You make me think about things in the game that I just don't normally think about. And that's a lot. That's, that's really, that's really fun. That's really engaging. It is. It's awesome. And I always love getting the quarterback's perspective because I, you get so consumed in your position group. And I, I did have the opportunity to play both the defensive line and offensive line and, and inside and outside. So I have a really nice scope of trench play, and I've got a really good scope of tight ends and movements and things like that. But the quarterback stuff is always a big help. So love that you do it. It's always fun to do radio with you, brother, and I appreciate the time that you give us here on The Zone. Nobody does it better. There is not a better analyst out there, and I put my name behind that. Frank Dolce, one of the best in the business. This has been your Utah postgame show on 97.5, 12 to The Zone of The Zone Sports Network. Make sure you stay tuned. Because on Monday morning at 6 a.m., DJ and PK are going to take you through until 10 o'clock. Then you got Jake and Ben. They're going to hand it off to Scotty and I. We'll take it till 3, and then we hand it off to Unrivaled. That's all coming up on a Monday edition of the Zone Network. Keep it tuned right here. This has been your Utah postgame show on 97.5, 12 to the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.